Welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. I'm your host, Stella Bales. In this podcast series, I'll be interviewing experts in emerging areas of PR. We'll be taking those hot topics in public relations, dispelling any myths, breaking down the jargon, so you are completely clued up and ready to speak to your stakeholders by the time you reach the office. If you have any questions around the episode, please feel free to tweet me at Stella Bales. In this episode, I interviewed Ginny Dietrich, who is the founder and CEO of Armand Dietrich Communications. And she's also the editor of one of the most popular PR sites in the US, Spin Sucks. Ginny has authored a couple of books. She's got her Spin Sucks book and also co-authored Marketing in the Round. She's really known right now for pioneering in paid earned social and owned strategies in communications. She's been helping brands set those strategies, as well as training others in the industry on the pay zone model, how to work with clients and measure this kind of activity. That's why I had to speak to her. Ginny really is the expert in multi-channel comms. In our interview, we cover what the model is, how it can help achieve business goals, how to measure payzo activity, and also how to get that client buy-in and break down silos. I also get her thoughts on my previous episode on how Diageo is using the payzo model in their own PR measurement process. Ginny has a really interesting PR background and her knowledge is impressive. For this one, I recommend you grab your pen and get ready to take some notes. Here's Ginny. I am in Chicago. Yay! Yay. Left New York and I'm in Chicago. Very excited to be here. I've just flown in and I am joined by Ginny. Hello. Hi. Thank you for joining oh my me. Gosh. Well, thanks for coming to me all the way to <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> so, really wanted to speak to you today about paid, earned, shared, and owned. Sure. Um, you are quite an expert in that area. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> and um, for our regular listeners, you will know that I met with James Alexander recently from Diageo, and he went into some detail about how he standardized reporting for their multi-marketing activity at Diageo and Peso plays a really big part in that, not just in how they organize the activity, but how he has measured the activity too. Before we sort of dive into measurement and metrics and all of the different areas, I just wanted for you, Ginny, to give us a little bit of background on the framework and your part in it and your experience in it. Um, and yeah, it us a little bit more. So one of the things that we were talking about before we start, before we hit record is both of us have had the experience with agencies where you produce this great work. And, you know, in my career, it was always events and, you know, stunts and lots of media coverage, but there was no real way to measure it. I mean, sure, we had media impressions and advertising equivalencies, but as we all know, that's not real measurement Um, and it was the only thing we had back then but as the web has evolved and we've started to kind of understand where things come from and how they affect a business's growth that has started to evolve so when we look at the structure of the peso model it's really about not only integrating a whole communications program but in the middle of it building authority that can be measured back to an organization's goals and not just oh, well, we have great reputation or we have lots of awareness or, you know, that kind of stuff. But actually, is it affecting the growth of the business? I think it's great that with just by using the framework, I know when I was still doing activity, being able to use a framework like that really helped spark new ideas, actually, and and push us forward in PR to be able to use different tools, come up with different creatives. And I know that I've done a lot of reading on Spin Sucks around the measurement using Peso and getting to and using all those elements to get to almost a total. 
Something that James was talking about is how he has to compare those different Each elements. Yeah. yeah. What's your thoughts on that? You know, it's, it's really interesting because one of the things that kind of drives me crazy is that all of it's so siloed. You know, in the big agencies, you have reputation and you have crisis and you have, you know, media relations and you have social, but they don't talk to one another. And I think that's the same in corporations. They're not having conversations. I'm working with a client right now where I'm making them go through the whole process of planning a PESO model program. And even though some of them are on the paid team and they're media buyers and some of them are on the media relations team and some of them are on social and so on, they're all having to do the same homework. And it's kind of funny to hear like, wow, I actually have gained a new respect for what so-and-so does because of that. So the idea that we're siloed and have to compare I mean, I can kind of understand it because, you know, you want to have the things that are most effective for a business's growth. But I also don't think they're as effective if they're not integrated together and, and working together. What kinds of organizations have you worked with using the PESO model? Like what kind of verticals works for this kind of activity? You know, it's been interesting because we, from the PR firm side of things, so Armit Dietrich's our PR firm, we've done just B2B manufacturing. and. That's all we've done on that side of things. But as the PESO model has evolved and the industry has sort of taken hold of it, what we've discovered is that people don't really know how to use it. They use the framework and they understand it, but to integrate it into a culture is a different story. And so I've consulted with everything from food and entertainment to industrial and financial services. So across the board, it's consumer and B2B, it's nonprofit and organizations. So it's it's really about teaching them how to use it and then letting them build it into the business process. And does that process change from different verticals, do you think? Is there a familiar route, depending on what vertical you might be in? I think it changes just from the perspective of goals and targets. So for instance, right now I'm working with a food company that we're going through the process and we're finding that through the process, you know, the typical publications, blogs that you would expect, like Epicurious and Food Network, and those guys are certainly coming up, but we're also finding that local newspapers are a good target for them. But it, we're finding it in different areas than we necessarily are finding through the process. So. I think it makes people smarter about how they choose versus just saying, well, let's build a media list of 200 people and just send a news release. And so when you're helping these types of organizations, are you setting KPIs per area? Does it still sit within that KPIs for paid, KPIs for earned, KPIs for shared, et cetera? Sort of. <laughs> um, so there's the, always the big business goals and that's where we start. So what, what are the big business goals and how can we attribute to that? Well, how can we affect that? So just based on the data that I've compiled with clients that we've worked with and clients that I've consulted with over the years, we have sort of an average per industry and it's certainly not an average you know that you would necessarily use globally it's just an average of our clients and so we use that and say okay we know that the peso model can affect 25 percent of your revenue goal and based on you know you want to generate a million dollars next year we know that 250 of that can come from the peso model then you start to break it down. So it depends on how the business is structured. You know, some businesses owned media doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense because it's, you know, they make light bulbs and it's a commodity. So, you know, we may take those pieces out of it or we may do it a little bit differently. So there, then, yeah, there are things that, that drive into that bigger goal. 
for sure that are broken by that actually wrong true with something that James was saying on on the previous interview around how they are a product that, that they're trying to sell so often owned isn't a big thing for them right. this traffic going to a site isn't going to help them drive sales a lot of the time but it's but impressions does yeah. and I guess on that James was also saying that he uses impressions as a proxy to have like a total metric if you like at the at sort of in, in each area to be able to measure and compare and contrast what's your thoughts on that <laughs> well, I have the advantage of having asked you about it before we started here to, to hit record because I think my initial response was really but in our traditional way that you and I both grew up with which was Okay, you take the subscription of a publication. If it's consumer, then you multiply that subscription number by two, two and a half. And if it's a trade, then you multiply it by five, and that's your number, right? That doesn't mean that five extra people have seen it or that anybody even read the article, right? It's just a subscription model. But the way that it's structured from a digital perspective is you can tell, you know, especially if it's something that you own, right? You can tell how many people read the article and then came to your website. You can, you know that, right? So the thing about coverage book that I like is that it's taking some aggregate numbers and giving her an estimate. So I love that. And I also love that you can use anchor text to, to figure out who's coming to the site from that article. So it's super measurable and it's accurate. It's not like, okay, well, we got in the New York Times and so that's 100 million impressions. No, <laughs> not so much. No, um, and sometimes those click-throughs can be disappointing. But then, if yeah. it, but then I guess if you're looking to see what those click-throughs actually did right. after that, then it's not so disappointing. Right. Right. So right. we just have to be more comfortable with the small numbers, don't we? We have to get more comfortable with the small numbers. And I think you're right. You know, we as an industry have gotten people so executives so used to those big numbers. So they want a million Facebook fans, and they want a billion YouTube views, and they want a hundred million media impressions. For what? Right. So you I think you're right. We have to train executives on the new way and we have to get comfortable saying, OK, so something ran in The New York Times and 100 people came to the site. But of those 100 people, 85 of them bought something. Now we we have something concrete. Right. And then, you know, 85 people buy something. Let's say your average price point is five grand. You know, I mean, you could start to to build that out and say, OK, Although it was only 85 people, it generated this much in revenue. Yeah, it's great as an industry that we can start to move towards that for sure. For people who are at the beginning of this journey and they are a PR agency working into a PR director within a company, business, as an example, and they're looking at paid and owned and social and shared for the first time, Kind of. I guess everyone would have been doing this a little bit, but um, to really sort of take the Peso model forward. How would you recommend they start talking about those areas to a client or even start to connect with people who are already doing that activity for their clients? The answer, of course, is it depends, which is a crappy answer. But, you know, if, if I were going in somewhere, I would start with some sort of strategy development program. So actually go into the business. And we were talking about this, like get out, away from your desk and go see your client, sit in their offices with them and just dig deep into the business and then figure out what they're trying to achieve and how the peso model can help them. So like we were talking about, if owned media doesn't make sense, then what, you know, you'll find that out through the process where you may not have known that initially and then build it around what their needs are versus 
we have this model and this is how we do it, right? So I think that that piece is really, really important. And then you can start to divide and conquer and figure out what makes most sense and what doesn't. And is that what you, you're doing with your agency right now? Are you sort of finding that you're going around to different departments and connecting them? Or do you feel that you still sit with public relations as a whole? Oh, no, we are definitely, it's all-encompassing. It's funny because people say, well, you're not really a PR firm. And I'm like, yeah, like, I guess not. I mean, to me, PR is communications, and communications is social, and it is content. I mean, that you're communicating. So I, I still believe that that's what we are and of course it's my expertise so I don't want to abandon it but you know people will say to me all the time you're not that's not really what you're doing anymore and I guess I guess it's not but I do think that the industry can and should evolve to include all of it. Have you found that a challenge going through to different marketing departments? Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. You know what I find more challenging is that people will call prospects will call and say we're looking for a PR firm and what they really mean is we just want media relations we want publicity. And so the education process that we take them a prospect through before we would even send a proposal is, well, is that really what you want and what you need? And does that make most sense for your business or does it make more sense to do something integrated? And we've walked away from a lot of business because that's not what we do anymore. Have you found that it has changed over the last year or is it still, is it still siloed? Oh, still siloed. I wish, no. I wish, I wish, I wish. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I'm pushing a boulder up the hill, but no, I don't think it's changed. Any view of it changing soon? <laughs> you know, I really believe that if we don't do this, I mean, here's the trend I'm seeing. I'm seeing search engine marketers who are doing media relations because they're trying to earn the, the link back to their site, right? So I'm seeing that. I'm seeing marketers do social and content. And so, and of course, advertising is doing paid media, which they should, you know, and they're doing native and they're doing sponsored content and stuff like that. But the, from my perspective, and of course I'm biased because like I said, my expertise is communications, but from my perspective, we should own all of that because we are relationship builders and social media is building relationships and being social and, you know, creating a reason for somebody to want to do business with you. Media relations is relationships, right? With journalists and bloggers and influencers and content is communicating a message and branding and reputation building. So all of those things, and of course paid from the perspective of email marketing and, you know, getting a message through from email, from the digital perspective, and also social advertising. I'm not talking about, you know, Super Bowl ads or anything like that, but really the kinds of things that build reputation and create awareness and build loyalists, those are the types of things that we should be doing. And as an industry, we're not saying, wait a second, this is ours. We're not. It's been said in the past that measurement is the thing that holds us back from being able to lead that. Mm-hmm. How do we change that? <laughs> <laughs> what a question. <laughs> I think there's a couple of things that go on with that. Number one, typically communicators are liberal arts degrees and so they don't have the business side of things you know marketers have to go through business classes advertisers have to go through business classes we go through journalism and not that there's anything wrong with that because my degree is but like English lit and you know creative writing and things like that that don't teach us how a business is run so I think that's the number one challenge number two is we're not typically in charge of a, a P&L so we always fall underneath a chief marketing officer or marketing director, and they're in charge of the P&L. So we don't have that business expertise from that perspective either. And because of that, 
we aren't able to naturally go, well, wait a second, when I'm doing this over here, it translates to this over here because we don't have that business experience or expertise. And truthfully, I didn't get it myself until I started a business. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait, this is great. Media relations is great, but it, how do I translate that to sales? And I don't know that you can by itself. Is that when you started to look at the other areas? It is, and it really, my big goal when I started my business was to find ways to measure what we did. And you have to add in the other stuff. You have to find ways to measure online and use data. I, just, I talk about this all the time. Every time I, I speak to a group of communicators, I say, how many of you went into PR because you hate math? And 99% of the room raises their hand. Okay, I want you to stop thinking about data as math. And yeah, it's numbers, but it's not calculus or geometry or algebra or anything like that. It's like reading what's in front of you. And if you can look at those numbers and look at the story it's telling you, you can start to make really good decisions. And that's what I want people to get to. Do you think that the PESO framework can help tell that story when you have your data at the end of the activity? I do, and that's one of the things I teach uh, people how to do is, you know, how do you, how do you take that data and, and look at it to tell that story, for sure. One of my favorite examples is, you know, you could have somebody who says, I want to be in the New York Times, and you're like, okay, fine, we can get you in the New York Times, but we're also going to get you in trade publication A and blog B, and let's see what happens. Then you look at the data and what the New York Times, what, what it tells you is the New York Times is actually really crappy. I mean, yeah, sure, maybe your mom read it and she's like, oh, I saw you guys in the New York Times and that's awesome. But it didn't do anything from a business perspective. But trade publication A and blog B drove a ton of traffic that actually converted to customers and you now have proof. So you can go back to the CEO and say, I understand you want to be in the New York Times. And yeah, from an awareness perspective, that makes sense. But let's spend our time over here because it actually translates to something. So you just have to dig a little deeper. Yeah. How important is it to have analytics access? <laughs> <laughs> please get analytics access. Please, 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 please. I think we're both laughing because for some reason there's a guard for everybody that you, they don't want you to have analytics access, which doesn't make any sense to me because it's not like you can go in there and break anything. Like, okay, you can look at the numbers, but that doesn't, like you can't, you can't break a website or change anything, you, can, you can't, it's impossible. So the fact that you can't get analytics access is call me if you need help <laughs> and I will make it happen because it's, that's ridiculous. Definitely, cool yeah. Ginny for that. Um, also check out answerthecliant.com too, one of our free tools. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, there's lots of different ways around that, but as you've just heard from Ginny talking, it's super important to be able to dig deeper, otherwise we do just sit with the large site-wide numbers that we have. We've talked about telling a story through the framework, looking at those different areas and I guess really focusing on earned. Are there a set of metrics that you think are always needed when you're measuring activity using the PESO framework? Like, do you always have the same metric for earned, the same metric for paid, for example, or does it vary? It does vary, but I, and, and I'm also not so naive to think that the vanity metrics don't matter. Like, you do have to know you know, follower numbers from a shared perspective, because if it decreases suddenly, something's wrong, right? If you had a big increase for something, then like there, so you have to have that benchmark. You also have to have, you know, website traffic and bounce rate and time spent on the site and all that kind of stuff. So that's typically where people end. And I think that's the start. So you have to have those things as a benchmark. 
And then, because those also tell a story, if your website traffic is going along and you're increasing by 10% every month because you have content going and your SEO is working really well, and all of a sudden you decrease by 20%, there's something wrong, right? So I'm not so naive to think that we don't need those things, but that's always the start. And then depending on what you're trying to achieve, the the data-driven metrics change. You talk so comfortably about things like metrics and analytics and SEO and bounce rates, but you also mentioned previously that your degree was in journalism and you're you're from a PR background. How did you develop your knowledge and become more analytical? (laughs) Um, I think by nature of the beast, I had to because... I mean, we were doing all, for my business, we were doing all of the things we were doing for clients and it wasn't working. And I was like, what? I had a weekly column in Cranes, which is the business journal here in Chicago. It did nothing, literally nothing. People said to me all the time, read your column in Cranes, loved it. Yeah, I go to get my haircut and my hairdresser's partner is the business, his business owner and and he would come up to me in the chair and say, oh, I read your article on Cranes and I learned this and this and this. Thank you so much. And I'm like, can you hire us? <laughs> so I think by nature of the beast, I had to figure it out. But to be fair, I also have a statistics minor. So I sort of sit both sides, sides of the brain, which most people don't do. And, mm. and if, if I were to do it again, I would probably go left brain degree versus right brain. But the liberal arts was pretty easy. Not going to lie. <laughs> So I do sit both sides of that, and I find data is just fascinating. Do you think that PR agencies and teams might need a specialist data person to be able to do this kind of work, or do you think that we should all just adopt this new skill? I mean, I would love it if we could all adopt the new skill because I think it gives you an extra edge and it helps you plan better and make decisions more quickly. But yeah, if if it's just complete Greek to you, don't fight it. I mean, you should try to understand it, but if you if you can afford to bring somebody in who specializes in that or hire it out, then yeah, you should for sure. I guess on that note, where do you see all of this developing? Like let's fast forward 5 years. That's not that long, I guess, but a lot can change. 5 maybe 10 years. What do you think will change in the PR industry as we see it now? The robots are going to take over. (laughs) I, for one, welcome them. One of the things that's really interesting to me is marketers talk about their software stack. So they always have a stack. So they have coverage book and they have analytics and they have their CRM and they have, you know, there's all these, this software that they put together to work together and communicators don't do that. Like maybe we use coverage book and maybe we use Iris and we probably use Cision, but that's it, right? So using artificial intelligence to do the kinds of things that are repetitive, I think is so, 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 so smart. And one of the things I keep saying is a robot will never, ever, ever replace our empathy or our creativity. So if you can focus on those two things, you will always be safe. But if your focus is, on, is super, super tactical and you're great at sending out media pitches, you're going to be replaced. I found that when I moved from a PR agency to a digital marketing agency, that was one of the first things I noticed. Like when I met the, P, the, the yeah. paid team, how many tools yeah. and surrounded yeah. by technology they were. Yeah. And, and yeah. they weren't doing any boring jobs. Yeah. No <laughs> boring jobs. And it's like, we just installed a new CRM, customer relationship management software. And like the things it does, I'm like, oh my 
gosh, you mean I don't have to do that anymore? It's amazing. Yeah. So yes, please use technology. <laughs> <laughs> we love the robots. <laughs> okay, well, that brings me to a close about asking for, uh, about Pezo. really is so useful for everybody to understand that it's not just a diagram, like how to bring it to life and talk to your clients and at the very least start that conversation with clients. I just guess finally, is there anything you would recommend for people to, if they are just starting out this journey, what they should be reading or listening to that would be great? Well, obviously spin sucks. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot that we're doing with PRSA around the peso models. So I would, I would check that out as well. Especially if you're a member, you can have access to certain uh, lessons and things like that. Professional development that I think will help. You know, everybody's sort of talking about it. Mashable is, is talking about it. All you have to do is Google peso model and there's plenty of stuff. We're number one now. Thank you very much. I did get us finally there. But there's plenty of, of places where I think you can get information. And lots of people talking about case studies, like how they've used it, like the Stiagio example. I think that's really valuable too. We all need real examples in our lives. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so, so much for joining me in this cafe in Chicago. Sorry for the background noise, listeners, <laughs> but it's fun to be in Chicago and great to meet Ginny so finally. Great to meet you and thanks for coming to my hood. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. This is the PR Resolution Podcast. Keep in touch by following me on Twitter at Stella Bales. For more reading on PR, head to blog.coveragebook.com. Don't forget to tune in to the next episode and make sure you subscribe to the series on iTunes now. See you there.